Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's weekly speaker series podcast. My name is Rohan Sandhu, and I am an MPID student at the Harvard Kennedy School. This week, we are joined by Neil Gregory, Chief Thought Leadership Officer at the International Finance Corporation, the private investment arm of the World Bank Group. I'm talking with Neil on October 23rd, 2020, after his appearance in the CID speaker series at the Harvard Kennedy School. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, nice to be with you, Rohan. Neil, I want to start with talking to you about the IFC's operating principles for impact management, something you also spoke about in your speaker series today. Before we dive into the content of these principles, tell us a little bit about what led to this product. What challenges or gaps in the market were you trying to address when you started on the journey of putting this together? Sure. So the journey really started in 2015 when the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Change Goals were agreed by the international community. And we were asked by our shareholders to explore how we could mobilize more private capital to invest in impact to contribute to the achievement of those goals. And so we spent a lot of time talking to the asset owners, the pension funds, the insurance companies and others who have capital to invest and ask them, what is holding you back from investing for impact or making a greater allocation to impact? And what we heard quite consistently was that they were interested in investing for the SDGs and for climate change, but that they were confused by the market. There were all kinds of funds labeled impact and sustainable and responsible and SDG and climate. And they didn't really know what the label meant. If they invested in one of these funds, how would their money be managed differently in order to achieve impact? And so that is the gap that we aim to fill with the operating principles for impact management. They really answer that question and provide a a market benchmark for what it means to manage an investment portfolio for impact. Thank you. On that note, you know, one of the biggest gaps in the impact investing space for a couple of years now has been the lack of common metrics to measure impact. In addition, the Global Impact Investing Network's 2020 Annual Impact Survey states that 66% of impact investors said that impact washing or claiming impact without evidence is the greatest challenge the industry faces and will face over the next five years. Where in light of this, do the IFC's operating principles fit in? I understand that you know the IFC's operating principles talk about measuring impact, but what are the challenges in demonstrating real impact? So I think there are two key elements of the principles which speak to the challenge of impact washing. The first is that you need under the principles to establish the contribution that you make as an investor to impact. So there are all kinds of sustainable investment strategies in the market, which will allow you to buy shares or hold bonds and companies which may be having a great impact. But what's missing is the theory of change of how you're holding those shares makes a difference to the company's ability to have impact. Whereas an impact investor like ourselves working in private markets, we are providing additional capital to companies. There's a fairly clear theory of change of how we contribute And so the first way that you address impact washing is under the principles by requiring investors to explain what their contribution is to impact. And the second is to require then the reporting of that impact to be done using standard metrics. So we could all make up our own numbers to suit our own investments, but there are increasingly more investors who are converging around one common catalog of impact metrics. 
Now, it's slightly confusing because today it goes by two different names in the market, but it's really the same set of underlying indicators. The GIN hosts a set of indicators called Iris Plus, and we and the other development finance institutions use uh, pretty much the same indicator set, but we call it HIPSO. But the main message is that when we look at the signatories, the principles, we find nearly 60% are basically using HIPSO or Iris Plus metrics, and those are basically the same thing. So I think we have actually come a long way in the industry towards there being a common set of metrics which can be used by all impact investors. And this is something which asset owners are looking for, because if you want to construct a portfolio where you have impact investments managed by different funds and different institutions, you want to be able to compare across that portfolio and look at the relative impacts. And so having common metrics is very important. Now, the impact investing community and the development landscape is far from a homogenous one. So when we think about the compliance with these operating principles, do you see a difference between how well these principles may be applied to different types of investors or fund managers and across different geographies or different kinds of countries? What are some of the challenges you foresee? And I know you've had a year of experience with this now. What are the challenges you foresee in the application of these operating principles? So what's been encouraging has been to see what a wide range of institutions and funds have adopted the principles. You have some small specialist impact funds that may be managing $50 million or $100 million, all the way up to the world's biggest asset managers like BlackRock and Apollo and KKR, who are managing billion-dollar-plus funds. You have public development finance institutions like ourselves. You have private asset managers. So... What's been good about that, I think, is, is that it's bringing a common standard which spans this very diverse market, as you correctly noted, and making clear that there is a common discipline that we all follow in managing our assets for impact. And what we're now seeing, the first 75 or so of those signatories to the principles have published their first disclosure statement. So what we're able to do for the first time is actually see quite transparently how they follow those principles. And it does look different for different types of investors working in different geographies and with different types of assets and working with different scales of companies. But what is important is that is now transparent to the investor. We as IOC don't try and you know, pass judgments on these disclosures or say who's doing better than anybody else. What we're really trying to do with these principles is put that information into the hands of the investors so that any asset owner who's considering an investment in the fund can read these disclosure statements and can make their own assessments of whether they're, they're comfortable with the approach that's being used to manage their funds for impact. Now, development finance institutions, including the IFC, have often been criticized for making investments in developing countries without necessarily building the long-term capabilities of domestic institutions, including the government, to appropriately manage or regulate those investments in the future. How do you respond to this criticism and how is the IFC looking to address challenges such as this? So an important part of our work is actually to develop local capital markets. And IFC actually coined the term emerging markets. We invested in the first emerging market funds many years ago. And so we've always had a strand of our work, which has been about developing capital markets so that more private capital can flow into emerging markets. And these days, that's mainly focused on developing domestic capital markets in Africa and elsewhere. So we do engage with local regulators in order to develop local bond markets, local 
equity markets and working closely with our World Bank colleagues. So this is an important aspect of our work. And I think there is increasingly pools of, of capital within developing countries as more people are saving for pensions and buying insurance policies. So you start to see pension funds and insurance companies that have assets to invest. And today, much of that is invested uh, simply in government bonds because there isn't much other outlet in domestic markets. So by developing these local capital markets and helping them be regulated appropriately, we also hope that more of the savings that are being generated in these countries can be reinvested in those countries for impact. Finally, Neil, I cannot be talking to you in 2020 and not ask what you think about how COVID-19 has affected how the impact investing community thinks about social impact and sustainable change. Where do you see the impact investing space going from here, given that the pandemic has really stimulated a rethink of our existing economic development paradigm? And what role do you think the IFC is going to play in that? So I think we've seen that the COVID crisis has actually led to increased interest. We wondered if investors would get defensive and be more risk averse. But I think what COVID has highlighted is what impact investors have been saying for a long time, that you can't have a healthy financial portfolio in an unhealthy economy and an unhealthy society. So the crisis in front of us is a health crisis, but we know that right behind that is a there's a climate crisis, there's an inequality crisis, there are different dimensions. But the underlying point is the same, that investors see that they need to be thinking about how they use their capital to address these social and environmental and economic challenges, not just how to, to make more money. So we continue to see new funds being launched and more capital being raised impact. So I think it's given a further boost to interest in investing impact. What IFC would like to do going forward is to continue to engage with the many large pools of capital that aren't yet making significant allocations to impact. There's still many endowments, foundations, high net worth, family offices, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, the huge pools of capital managing trillions of dollars around the world that have not yet put a toe in the water of impact investing. We don't expect them to shift 100% of their assets anytime soon, but even if they shifted 1% or 2%, they could make a huge difference to financing the sustainable development goals, financing progress on climate change and addressing other social and economic challenges. Well, that sounds very promising. Thank you so much, Neil, for taking out time to talk with us today. You can follow Neil on Twitter at NFGregory. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research events and upcoming speaker series lectures at cid.harvard.edu. Thank you for listening in, and we'll see you back next week.